to the last part of Luke 2. Luke 2.40 And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was twelve years old, they went up according to custom, and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days they found Him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard Him were amazed at His understanding and His answers. And when His parents saw Him, they were astonished. And His mother said to Him, Son, why have You treated us so? Behold, Your father and I have been searching for You in great distress. And He said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? You'll see a footnote there. The little three. And down at the bottom it says, Or about my father's business. And I think I told you guys this before. It simply says, I must be about my father's. It doesn't say business. It doesn't say house in the original. The, the, the translators supply that word. In other words, Christ is just simply saying, I need to be about my Father's whatever it is. My Father's stuff. My Father's business. I, I really like that better than house. I don't know why they chose that. but And they did not understand the saying that He spoke to them. And He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And His mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And sure enough, folks, this morning I am going to tempt God helping us to start a series that is going to deal with parenting and with children. But now if you're here today and you don't have any children yet, or you don't ever plan to have any, or you've already had them and they're out of the house, Whatever your situation might be, don't fret because there's, there's a lot that applies to you. Because you know, folks, a lot of the things, well, every single thing that you are going to attempt to instill in your children is something God is trying to instill in you. So, so I mean, the, the, the pattern's the same. And what, what we're supposed to be doing, we simply need to figure out how to take on that role um, as a parent in a, in a godly way. And all, I, folks, my prayer this morning, and Brother Charles prayed, and I went right into this, but I'm going to pray. Folks, my prayer is, it's simply one line here, and I lift up my voice to God. God, help us to be good parents. Help us. Because we need help. 
And folks, I'm not an authority. And I'm not going to talk to you as, as one who is an authority. Before I had children, I was an authority. Now that I have them, I've, I've, and folks, really, you'll find that those that are authorities are, are those people who don't have children. When you have them, and I'll be the first to admit, I don't have this thing figured out. But by God's grace, I'm saved, and I hope that He has supplied me with some degree of ability and spiritual discernment, and He's given me a Bible. And so, what I'm going to do, folks, as much as possible, as much as God gives me the grace to do it, I'm going to tell you guys when things are my opinion. When, when things are, well, this is the way I do it, or this, this is my feeling on the matter, and as much as possible, I'm going to try to point to you and say, thus saith the Lord. Here is what it says. Now, guys, the whole child-rearing thing, the parenting thing, it's like much in the Christian life. You simply, if, you've, if, if you guys come and hear every single one of these messages, and maybe there's this specific problem that you're dealing with or some question that you'd like to have answered, I can't guarantee that I'm going to answer it specifically. And it's, it's kind of the same way with the Christian life, folks. You know what? God's Word just simply does not tell us every single answer for every single situation. Now, there, it tells us a lot. But, you know, oftentimes what the Bible does is it doesn't spell out specifically how to deal with every intricate and minute little detail of life. What it does is it gives us principles whereby we need to apply. And, you know, it's the same thing with parenting. It does say some very specific things. But, you know, in the end, we have to take these godly principles. And you know what? Because the Christian life is like that, because parenting is like that, it's going to lead to you do different things. Remember what Romans 14 is all about? Some have liberty to drink. And some have liberty to eat meat. And you know what? Some don't. Some feel they need to observe certain days. And some don't. And you know what the Scripture says? After you've gone and applied all that Word of God and you stand before God and given the light that He has shown you, and we all stand before Him. Right. Every man needs to be convinced in his own heart. And you may in the end be convinced that there are certain things that you need to do in your parenting that I'm just not convinced I need to do. And you know what? You can't condemn me. I can't. That's, that's Romans 14. Now, clearly, if I'm doing something that clearly contradicts Scripture, well, that's another matter. We're not talking in that area. We're talking, you know, principles may take us in, in a little bit of a different direction. Guys, I'm not going to get into any specifics today. In fact, I'm almost going to back away from this text a little bit. I'm going to refer to it a number of times. But what, I'm, what, I'm most important, what I think is most important at the start is that we develop a correct mindset with regards to parenting. That's, that's where I want to start today. The mindset. So, the goal. You know, that comes with the mindset, the goal, the principle, the, the overall picture. What are we looking at? What are we aiming at? That's, you know, I, I think about you guys. You get, out of, you get out of bed in the morning. Well, probably none of you get out of bed in the morning and think about one overriding goal or target that we should shoot at with regards to our children. Probably you don't give your children a whole lot of thought until you get up in the morning, you hear them cry or you see them. You might give some thought to them. But sometimes the whole parenting thing doesn't even come into mind until 
Oh no, they do something that aggravates you. They do something you think is bad. And then you start thinking about, you know, well, should I do it or shouldn't I do it? And a lot of times we're, we're you know, we bounce around over here, over there, and we're not really certain what we're doing because we don't have our goals set. We don't have a, we don't have our mindset about what really parenting is all about. Okay. Well, let me, let me dive in then. Augustine said, this, and I, I think it's, it lends itself to where we're starting. Christ is not valued at all unless He be valued above all. Did, did you catch that? And you know, that really does stand up to Scripture. Guys, you know what happens a lot of times? Well, you, for one thing, you guys know we live in a world that just devalues Christ. Augustine's talking about the value of Christ. We don't value Him at all if we don't value Him above all. But we've got a world around us that's definitely devaluing Christ on every hand. You know what? There's a lot of people, they want Christ in the car, but they want Him in the back seat. You know, that's, that's how it is. They, they don't want Christ totally out of the picture, but oh, they don't want to give Him the first place. Now folks, you know what? Second place might be okay for us. I mean, after all, it's, it's a silver medal, right? But I'll tell you this. Christ is not into silver. And He's not into back seats. And He doesn't get in the car unless He drives. And that, that, is a, that is a good... Well, it's a good place. It's a good, it's a good foundation for us to lay. You know something? Scripture is so clear on this. It is so plain. You guys, just I think it's probably six, seven pages away in your Bible. Turn to Luke 14. You, many of you probably already are familiar with this verse. I want you to look at it. Think about it. Luke 14.33 If you're not familiar with this verse, it would do you well to memorize it. It's one that really we need to contemplate and meditate on oftentimes because it's right at the heart of our Christian walk. Luke 14.33 Any one of you who does not renounce... Now you see this? Start out. Any one of you. It's speaking about any one of us. Every one of us. You and me. Who do, do not or who does not renounce. Now the King James Version says forsake. Guys, you know what? This is the only time that this word is translated this any time in the New Testament when it's used. Every other time that it's used, it's translated to take leave of or to say farewell to. You need to get the idea of the word. Now listen, guys, this, this, is, this is a radical statement. Any one of you who does not say goodbye to, say farewell to, Leave behind, renounce, forsake all that he has. Cannot be my disciple. You say, okay, well, okay. I, you know, I don't want to give up all. I just won't be his disciple. You know, I, I want to go to heaven, but I just won't. Be. Folks, you know what a disciple is? It's a follower. It's a learner of Christ. Christ is saying, you cannot be a follower of mine unless you forsake all that you have. You cannot come. Remember what he said? Deny yourself and follow me. He's talking absolute, total denial. Too radical for you? Maybe. 
Right? So, I mean, so, some people say, that's just too radical. Maybe you're not quite ready to go that far. Okay. I mean, it's not going to be okay for you, but okay, at least the terms are out there on the table. You've made your decision about it, but these are the terms, folks, right? Couldn't be spoken more, more plainly. Folks, you see what's being said here? Renounce everything. It means the driver's seat is renounced. It means that everything... Folks, every single thing in your life, everything you are, everything you possess at the feet of Christ. Now folks, what this is, is it's simply a yielding to what is already true. You know what's true? Christ possesses all things. What this is, is it's you yielding ownership to Him. It's already His, but it's you Admitting it. It's you acknowledging it. It's you succumbing to that. It's you looking at everything in your life. And we set up things on these thrones. We've got these things, these idols, these sins, these things that are dear to us. And we've got them on their thrones. And what Christ is saying here to us is you yank everything off those thrones and throw them at the feet of Christ. He must have preeminence in your life. He must be most important. He must have the chief seat. And you know what this includes? our children and our grandchildren. And I will keep including grandchildren because I know Papa and Laura and Alex and Janie and the Garzas and there, there are quite a few people in this room that have grandchildren. As well as children. Mm-hmm. Folks, our children can be dear to us. Brother Charles said, precious children. And yet I'll tell you this, Christ demands that they be taken off those thrones. You know what happens, folks? You make decisions in your life that have to do with how you esteem your child will react or respond or how it will make them feel more than you're concerned with how Christ feels about this matter. You know what? That, that means your priorities are shifted. This this, you see the mindset we're developing here? What Christ is saying to us is everything, including your children and grandchildren. And He says, I own those children. I own them. You guys, as Christians, we are not owners of anything. The only thing that belongs to you is your sin. Everything else, folks, is His. Everything. You know what? It's His if you're lost. But people don't realize it. What Christ is saying is, I own it all. Yield it up to Me. You know, you know the, the best way I can prove to you right this second that you don't own your children? Christ can take them to you this day before it's over. He has ownership. He has authority. He absolutely does. All of them. And you know what? It, this, this doesn't even just have to do with parenting and grandparenting in this case. It has to do, when it comes to parenting, it has to do with our ideas about parenting. Off the throne! You know what happens, folks? You may hear something said in the church or you may hear something in a book or you may have somebody tell you something and you think, well, I just don't think that's right. I'm going to raise my children this way. I'm going to do this. I think this is right. You know what Christ says? Renounce it all. All your theories, all your methods, all your parenting techniques, all of it, folks, at the feet of Christ. He is the preeminent one. 
You bow to Him when it comes to this. Folks, you are not owners. You are ambassadors. You are sent on His behalf. You know what? He has put you in the world to take care of those children. Those children are His. He has made you a parent, a guardian of them. And He expects that you are going to take care of them the way that He has instructed you to take care of them. And they're not yours to do with what you want to do with. The way you want to do with them. All of it, folks. The kids, the children, the grandchildren, the techniques, the styles, the methods, all of it down there. I mean, folks... This is what we're being called to. Exactly this. Christianity costs us every single thing. Even our children. Even our children. You know something? The fact is, folks, Jesus Christ is far more precious than our children. As precious as they are to us. You guys, I mean, I know you don't like to think this way. And I'm not saying that the Bible even asks us to think this way. But the fact is, if God took all of your children, He does ask us to think this way. I mean, you're going to follow Him no matter what the cost is. Even if He took your kids, or even if He doesn't save your kids and He damns them in the end. Are you going to follow Christ? Because He is the preeminent one. Folks, This is also dealt with somewhere else. Beautifully put forth before us. Now, go back to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, the first thing I want you to look at is in verse 45. 45 and 46. It's one of the Lord's parables. Matthew 13, 45 and 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Now, you guys, before I go on, I want everybody to understand just what the scenario is here. What's the kingdom of heaven? You know, somebody might say, well, the kingdom of heaven is it's heaven. It's inclusive in there, no doubt. But, you know, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are used interchangeably throughout the Gospels. The king, we're talking about the kingdom of Christ. We are talking about wherever there's a kingdom, there's a king. We are talking about the realm and, and we are told to enter the kingdom. You, it must be entered. We're told that it's among us. Not, it's not talking about heaven being among us. It's talking about a kingdom being among us. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's something that must be entered. We are told to strive to enter it. Well, folks, what we're being on the outside and being the inside, the difference is submitting to the king of that kingdom. That's how you come in. Folks, this is, this is speaking about Christianity here. This is speaking about eternal life. The kingdom of heaven is something that you must enter. And what we have is a parable here of how you enter it. Now, a parable is simply a little illustration of something that's very commonplace in life that gives us some instruction about some spiritual truth that may be more difficult to understand. So, what's the picture? The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. You know, a salesman. Some guy that buys and sells. He's in search of fine 
pearls. Okay? Who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Notice how this merchant sold everything. All that he had. In order to acquire this one pearl of great value. He, you, see what he said? you see what he did? He said goodbye. He said farewell to everything. It doesn't say with the exception of one thing. Everything. Now, folks, I'll tell you this. There's not one of you in this room, there's not a man, a woman, or a child who will give freely, and I emphasize that, I'm not saying you know somebody's got a gun to your head or somebody stole it from you. There isn't one of you in this room that will freely give up everything that you have unless what? Unless you are soundly convinced that what you're going to get in return is better than what you're giving up, right? I mean, nobody's going to do it. Nobody. Not freely. I mean, that would be foolish to do that, right? You, you try doing that in the business world. Where's that going to end you up? I mean, if, if this guy dealing in pearls buys cheap imitation pearls and then he goes and tries to sell them for and he gives a whole lot, he gives everything he has for them, I mean, where's he going to end up? He's going to end up broke. He's going to end up stupid and foolish. And No, folks. You give up all that you have because what you're giving it up for is more valuable. It's more precious. You, you see, folks, what's at the heart of this matter? You must believe that the pearl of great price is worth giving everything up for in order for you to give it up. There's, there's a faith issue here, right? You guys know that that is precisely why people do not come to Christ. Because they do not believe He is precious. Because they do not believe He is more valuable than all the things that they own. They do not believe that. And, and you know what? If you don't believe it, you simply will not be willing to give everything up. You won't. You may be willing to give some things up, but you won't give everything up. Now, you're right, if you're right there in Matthew 13, look one verse before. You have another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now be sure, brethren, the man didn't sell all that he had for the sake of the field. He sold all that he had for the sake of the treasure that was in the field. Now, why was the treasure in the field? I don't know. All it says is he found the field. And obviously, he found the treasure in a field that he didn't own because he sold everything he had so that he could go and buy it. The guy seemed to be honest. He could have stole the treasure. He didn't steal the treasure. He went and bought the land. It's obvious that the owners of the land didn't realize the treasure was there. It may have been buried generations back. Who knows? We're not told. Christ doesn't care about all those things. What He simply is showing us is another illustration of what the kingdom of heaven is like. You must forsake it all. Guys, do you see where I'm going at with this? When it comes to your children, your grandchildren, no matter how you raise them when you were lost, or no matter how you've raised them up to this point, what we're going to do in the weeks ahead is we are going to look at some very sound and biblical parenting truths, parenting principles. And you know what? If you look at something 
If you've really come to a place in your life where you've given it all over to Jesus Christ, and if you haven't, I mean, let's, let's lay it down, folks. You are not saved unless you have given everything up to follow Christ. You're not. If there's a reservation, if there's something you're holding back, you cannot be His disciple. I mean, I didn't say that. You can say, well, that's, that's just too radical. I know it's radical. Christianity is radical. But I'll tell you what, radical it may be, but it's worth it. Amen. Because this, Jesus Christ is the pearl of great price. And He is the treasure. And to give everything up for Him is absolutely worthwhile, folks. It is worthwhile. Oh, it is absolute. And folks, I'd go even further. Is it difficult? You know what? It's not only difficult, it's impossible. But all things the Bible says are impossible with God, right? You know what? We don't have a whole lot of real, by biblical definition, poor people in this country. And you know what Christ said about the rich? He said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for rich people to get saved, basically. And we, have, we are in a rich country. He, he, he said it's impossible. They looked at him, Lord, who then can be saved? He said, just hold on. With God, all things are possible. Yes, it's, it's difficult. Unless God... Folks, you know what's at the heart of this matter? Unless God breaks into your life and shows you that Christ is beautiful and glorious and magnificent, you will not leave everything for His sake. God must give you eyes in that direction. He must. You will. And this is, this is hard. You think, wow, you know, are men so stupid? But I can say this, folks. Men will refuse eternal life if they are not, if they are not made to see how precious and valuable Jesus Christ is. Is Christ precious to you? Is He precious above all things to you? Christ must be cherished and prized even above and far beyond above your precious children. They can't be held back. You know what? If you're going to parent your children... And I'll guarantee in the weeks ahead we're going to look at this. If you really love your children and you care about them, you're concerned for their sake, for their souls, you will put them on that altar. Because by keeping them back, you only endanger their souls. You endanger their soul and you endanger your soul. Do you know what Christ said? He that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of Me. Do you guys realize something? What you do with your children, what you do with all the things you possess, does not change one iota the value of Christ. What it does is it reveals who and what you are. Do you see what He's saying here? He says, if you love your children more than you love Me, you are not worthy of Me. He is making an assessment and an evaluation of you. How you respond to His worth shows what you are. 
It shows how worthy you are. You're not worthy if you will not give up your children for His sake. You're not worthy of Him. You know what the Bible says? It's speaking about Christ. You see it back in the Song of Solomon. It says He is altogether lovely. He is altogether precious. He is worthy of the highest place regardless of whether or not we realize it. Even if I act like Christ has no value, that doesn't diminish His majesty or worth one bit. It only reflects on my stupidity and my ignorance and my blindness. You know, I've heard it said like this. You can imagine that if, if you went to see a great work of art, some, some famous painting, maybe by Rembrandt or Monet or Picasso, I mean, just, you know, very famous, very valuable, and you went over to one of these, uh, you know, these art galleries over in Paris, and you went in and you looked at it, and you just said, Man, I, I don't see anything in that. You know what? That painting's value has already been determined. When you walk in there and you say that, you know what that says? That says something about you, not about the painting. It says, you're an idiot. I mean, that's what Christ is saying here. This is the whole idea, folks. When men look at Jesus Christ and they say, I will keep my alcohol. I will keep my car. I will keep my money. I'll keep my boyfriend. I'm going to keep my freedom. I'm going to keep my power. I'm going to keep my wealth. I'm going to keep my children. It's I'm going to live the way I want to live because Christ isn't worth it. The Bible says you are an idiot. You are stupid. You're not worthy. You're blind. This is what the Bible says. I mean, I'm trying to emphasize this, folks, because what I want, you know what? You guys aren't even ready to hear about parenting unless we come to a place. I'm not ready to hear about it until we come to the place where this truth has us right where we need to be. Where when God's Word comes to us, we say, yes, Lord, You are supreme. You are glorious. You are preeminent. This is Your Word. These children are Yours. You're the owner. You're the possessor of all things. I'll tell you something, folks. The devil knows this. He is full well aware of this whole thing. Christ's value, he knows about it. He knows it's not based on us. Mm-hmm. Folks, you don't make Christ Lord. Right. You don't make Christ precious. You don't make Him beautiful. You don't make Him valuable. You don't make Him supreme. He is those things. Right. And Jesus Christ, I'll tell you, He is so glorious. And the devil knows that if people but once get a glimpse of that glory, they will drop everything and flee to Him. Right. Just a glimpse of it. And it is so overwhelmingly magnificent, they will leave everything behind and immediately charge into His hands. They will. They will. And you know what the Bible says Satan does? Do you know what his tactics are? Folks, we're told this very clearly in 2 Corinthians 4.4. His tactic. Sometimes we think, well, his tactics are to drive me as deep into sin as he possibly can. 
I'll tell you this, that is not his major tactic. His major objective is to keep you from seeing how valuable Jesus Christ is. Listen to this. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. How has He blinded them? To keep them from seeing the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ. You know what the Gospel is? It's good news. You know what the good news? It's the good news of the glory of Christ. And there is a light. There is a glory. There is a magnificence and a splendor that shines out of this. And you know what Satan does? We read about it in one of the parables. He picks up the seed. Well, you know what he's doing when he picks up the seed? He doesn't want you to see the glory of Christ. He wants you to sleep. He wants you to, he wants you to, your mind to wander. Think about work. Think about that. Think about the other thing. You know why? Because He wants to damn your soul. He wants you eternally to perish and suffer. You've been made in the image of God. He wants you destroyed. He wants to tear you to shreds. And He realizes this. If you but get a glimpse of the glory of Christ, He's lost. He's lost. Because folks, the most vile sinner, no matter what depths of sin you have gone into, no matter how deeply you drank of the depravity of this world, no matter if you're even the chief sinner himself, if you catch a glimpse of the glory of Christ, oh, yeah. you will leave it all in charge. Amen. And I know that based on, on scriptural, yes. mm. a scriptural foundation. Yes. Paul says he was the chief of sinners. Mm. He saw the glory of Christ and he ran into his arms. Right. You see, no matter how deep Satan may lead somebody into sin, he does not have a firm enough grip on you. Because no matter how debauched and filthy and wicked you become. If God shows you just a glimpse of the glory of Christ, you will leave it all. And you know, just as much as that is Satan's tactic, you know what God's tactic is? On the other hand, right there in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, we're told that God has shown in our hearts, if we're believers, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The devil seeks to blind us from seeing it. God shines it into the hearts of men. The glory of Christ. The glory of Christ is the glory of God as it shines out of the person of Jesus Christ. This is the glory. This is the glory. He is that treasure. Now folks, all of this said, I hope you're seeing, unless we have this mindset of the preeminent glory of Christ in our parenting, we're not even starting at the right place. And, and folks, this is not a little matter. I'm telling you, I have a stack of paperback books. I had probably seven books at home on my desk. And I went through in the last three weeks and I read every single one of them. And... You know, what's, you know what just absolutely amazes me? One of the books I started reading, I, the name Jesus or Christ didn't show up for 20 pages. Mm. I started reading another one. It didn't show up for 30 pages. Mm. Whole chapters where the name Jesus or the name Christ is not even once mentioned. And I'm saying, you know what? And some of these guys are reformed writers. This isn't just... Your, your, you know, fly by night, secular kind of psychological 
jargon that's out there on the bookshelves over it in one of the, the local bookstores. This, this is stuff that comes from Christian writers, professing Christian writers, and reformed at that. And you know what concerns me? All that concerns me. Because I don't think they're looking at it the right way. You know, it just seems to me, as I really started thinking about it, I thought even when we like watched uh, the Trip Brothers, and I got to thinking back, how much did you really hear about Christ? How much? I mean, you get lots of stories and lots of scenarios and lots of things. And I begin to wonder, is it a lot of philosophy? Is it a lot of psychological uh, type of things? You know something, folks? We can get a hold of these books and we can begin to learn some methods and some theories. And I'm not saying that there's nothing good in any of them. There is some good stuff in there. There is some biblical principle in these things. But you know what, folks? It isn't enough for us to get hold of our Christian parenting book and to go buy ourselves a paddle or a rod. You know what? It's one thing to not be like the world. And it's good if you're not like the world because if you're doing what God tells you to do, you won't be like the world. But not being not or not being like the world isn't enough. You must be doing things according to the scriptural pattern. You know, it's possible to it's possible for me to be taking target practice in my yard and not hit my house. But at the same time not hit the target either. Right? I mean that's very possible. I can avoid shooting my children, but still not shoot the bullseye on the target. You see, there's a big difference. Folks, we want to hit the target. The target is God's Word. The target is God's principle. The the thing that I'm wanting to emphasize to you guys today is Christ has the chief place. Everything we do, we resort to Him. I mean, in everything, folks, we obey His laws. We imitate His life. We look to Him in all things. We believe what He has said. He is the focal point. He is our all. Is He not? Is that not what the Scripture says? When it comes to parenting, can we think, well, okay, wow, Christ, you know, I hope we're concerned about this. Singing. I know know that uh, um, Tress and I had this conversation about our songs in this church. Well, you know, whether they're, whether they're the classical old uh, hymns or whether they're, they're modern and contemporary, we're not going to give ourselves in this church to one or the other. What's important is, is Christ central? Is, is the truth of God's Word pouring out of this song? It's the same thing in, in all the things that we try to do. Is Christ central in the Lord's Supper? I mean, we try. Is Christ central in, the, in baptism? Is Christ central in our preaching? That's, that's what we want. If you guys, if you ever go to a church where Christ isn't central in the preaching or the teaching or the, the singing or any aspect of the ministry, you, you, maybe you ought to think about not going there or, or at least that whatever ministry it is ought to be severed off. Because Christ needs to be central. He needs to be the focal point of all of our life. You guys realize that when you go to the workplace, when you go shopping, this is the mindset we need to have. Christ is central here. How can I bring glory to Him? In everything we do, we're to do to the glory of God, right? And the glory of God is wrapped up in His Son. He is glorified in His Son. His Son is... Precious to him. He delights in him. 
Well, you guys, think with me about the Scriptures. Everything centers around His ownership. He possesses all things. He has rights to all things. He has authority over all things. I mean, you come, you come to God's Word. By Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He upholds the universe by the Word of His power. In Him all things hold together. He's not only the focal point in creating things, He is the center of holding them all together. I could go on and on showing you guys that He is central. But there's one text that I think in all the Scripture just lays this out as clear as anything. Christ, we are told in Colossians 1 and verse 18, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, why? There's a reason. We're not just being told the facts just by themselves. We're being told these facts because there's a reason God has done this. You know what the reason is? So that Christ might be preeminent in all things. Christ is preeminent in all things. Do you know God has structured it that way? That His Son will have preeminence in all things. That includes our parenting. That includes what we do with our children. Parent, grandparent. What are your objectives? I mean, I want you guys to give some thought to this. What is it that you aim at? I mean, think about it. I tried to think. What do, what, what do I find happens with myself? What do I find that I observe in other people? Think about why why we parent the way we do. What are some of the reasons that you make the decisions and the choices that you make with regards to your children? I'll tell you. You guys know that this is true. You guys make some of the decisions that you make with regards to your children because you're more concerned about your children than you are about Christ. You would rather make your child happy than to give real thought about whether Christ would sanction what I'm doing or not. Right? Your child... No, mom or grandma or grandpa. Or, but I want to watch something. I want to watch this movie. Okay, okay, okay. You put it on. You know very well that thing. If you sat down and watched that thing, it, it is godless. And I don't mean wicked godless. I mean it is just void of God. When, when the Bible tells us that we're to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, and we're to redeem the time, obviously we're to be giving our time to doing things and, and we're to be instructing our children in doing things where their time is going to be spent, where it is geared towards God. It is geared towards Christ. Is Christ preeminent? Or is He not? But what you will do is you will, you will sanction, you will allow, you will give your child two-hour time frame or a three-hour time frame out of their day where they can totally move their mind off from Christ, off from God. Do you believe that is giving... Christ preeminence in your in your life, your children's life, and in your parenting, in your instruction, in your guidance, folks. Do you realize? Sometimes we we are so clueless about this. You guys, Christ. When you come to the Bible and you see what God has done, God has lifted up His Son. He desires Him to be preeminent. You know what the Scriptures say? They say He paid for sin by Himself. Yes. He conquered death 
by Himself. He conquered the grave by Himself. He Himself said, there is one here that is greater than the temple. There is one here greater than Solomon. There is one here greater than Jonah. You go to the book of Hebrews, it says He is superior to the angels. He is superior to Moses. He is superior to Aaron. He is superior, folks. He is superior to Joshua. He is superior... You look at Him and we realize He is the very center point and the focal point of all that happens in this world. Just because you can go down, drive down this street out here and you don't see much of the glory of Christ, again, that's a reflection on our wicked society. It is not a reflection on His Word. He is central. Oh, folks, we can sing it. Christ is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. He is all the glory. In the church, He is the head. In marriage, He is the example. Promise given to Eve is all about Him. Promise given to Abraham is all about Him. The promise that one would rise up out of the loins of David, it's all about Christ. You guys realize, if you are going to parent your children right, you are going to gear them towards Christ. You, if you are going to do whatsoever you do to the glory of God, then you will seek the glory of Christ in the life of your children. And folks, you need to think about this. In whatsoever you do, even the mundane things in your life, whether you are eating or whether you are drinking, whether you are selecting a movie for your child, trying to determine what he's going to do. But you know what? A lot of times our parenting comes from we want to make Junior happy. We are not as concerned with making Him who is preeminent and over all things happy. And you know what happens, folks? It comes back to you're not renouncing everything for the sake of Christ. Because you're willing to harbor, you know what? Well, you know, yeah, I'll take Him to church on Sunday. But when it comes to day in and day out living, you're willing to give your son things that Jesus Christ would not sanction. You're an ambassador. You don't own that child. Who are you to do with your children what God has not told you to do? In fact, God has told you exactly the opposite. That you should raise your children to love Him and honor Him in all that they do. And yet, you'll sanction something that totally removes their mind from any thought. Is it a wonder, folks, oftentimes that our children are not saved? And you say, well, I believe in the elect. I believe... I'll tell you this. You go look at the Proverbs and it specifically says you as a parent have a hand in whether your child lives or dies. And it's talking eternal life and eternal death. And we'll look at some of that in the weeks ahead. Folks, what is your objective for your children? What is your objective? What is your goal? What is your target? Is it simply keep them out of my hair? I don't want to be aggravated. Folks, a lot of times we do what we do in parenting simply because the conduct and the activity of my children is making me irritated and agitated and upset. You know you do it. Sometimes it's, it's because... We do what we do because we're embarrassed. Well, we take our child into public and they embarrass us. They act. Or sometimes, well, I want my children to be like their children. Or sometimes, well, you know, I want my children to be beautiful. I want my children to be healthy. I want my children to be this. Sometimes our parenting is simply this. Well, I'm going to deal with my child when they do something wrong. We don't parent our children in the positive direction, we just simply correct them when they're in, going in the negative direction. There's no training. We avoid it all. Or, or there's the approach to parenting where, well, if my child does something really, really bad, 
then I'll, I'll, I'll try to take care of this. There's, there's lots of reasons that we do what we do. Maybe, maybe you want peace and quiet in the house. And you know, folks, I'm not saying that necessarily, you know, we might, we might seek to, well, we want to keep our daughter from getting pregnant or we want to keep Junior out of jail. or we want and, and I'm not saying necessarily some of those things are wrong, but they can't be the preeminent reason that you do what you do in your parenting. You see, folks, when I, when I look at my child, when I, when I, I have to have some direction. I mean, it's not just, well, you know, and, and folks, understand, I'm not going to sit here and say, I, I mean, I have strong feelings and you can ask me and I'll tell you and some of this might come out as I'm doing this, but, you know, you, you say, well, you know, I'm going to let my child watch, uh, what's, what's this kid's sorcerer that they've been making all the movies about? Harry Potter. You say, well, am I going to let my child do it or not? I'll tell you this, is there anything about God in it? You see, one of the things we're doing with our children today, and we can find ourselves doing this as parents, well, we don't expose them. No, you know, I'm not going to show them pornography. But at the other hand, what we do is, you know, back in the Old Testament where it says, whether you rise up, whether you lay down, whether you're going on this hand, whether you're going on that hand, you're to be instructing your children all the time to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yet, where instead of that positive, we try to get into this neutral ground where, well, it's not bad. Is, is that how God told us to raise our children? Giving them what's not bad? I find that the Scripture says we should lead them positively in the way of what's good, in the way of life, in the way of Christ-likeness, directing them towards glory. I mean, some of us are more concerned with the happiness of Junior here on this world than we are in his eternal happiness. We'd rather see, see the smile on their face now. We don't want them upset, agitated. You want to destroy your child, you just give them everything they want. You never say no to him. Just hand them everything on a gold platter. You know what, folks? This is about training our children. It's not just about when you're agitated and upset, you're going to haul off the paddle and whack them. That's not what this is all about. This is training. This is instruction. This is praying. This is fasting. Doing everything because we're heading towards a goal. And so often we don't have the slightest idea of what the goal is. We're, we're over here. We're over there. We change all the time. You know what? About a week and a half ago, I watched a documentary on um, the Battle of Britain. Any of you guys familiar with that? Documentary we got from the library. Battle of Britain. It was a major campaign in World War II. Actually, the thing was totally worked out before we even got into the war. It happened from, from like uh, June of 40 through May of 41. Almost a year. Hitler, you know, he was, his whole objective was to conquer and dominate Europe. And he was quickly moving to do that. He had already taken Norway, Denmark, Belgium, Austria, Czechoslovakia, Poland, France, uh, the Netherlands. He had, he, I mean, he controlled virtually the majority of Europe. And you know what happened? He came right up to the English Channel. And Hitler, he wanted to invade the British Isles. He wanted to con conquer and control them. But you know what? Two things stood in his way. You know what they were? Well, the English Channel, for one thing. 
wasn't too hard to waltz into France when you got a whole land bridge right from Germany there. There was water. But, I mean, they had a navy. They could have hauled them all over there. But there was a second thing that stood in their way. You know what it was? England had what was called the Royal Air Force. And it was a formidable enemy. They had a form of... Uh, they had a for, they, they had a strategic command center that they had sent up before the war. And it was quite involved and quite technical. Plus, they had the very revered... Um, um, Hurricane and the Spitfire fighters, which were they were a match for anything in the world at that time, especially the Spitfires. But you know, for all that, the Germans had them highly outnumbered, two or three to one. They had two or three times the aircraft, the trained pilots, the weaponry. Plus, they had all the weaponry of all the countries that they'd conquered. I mean, they had, they had the natural resources. Folks, they, they had the power to do it. But you know what? This operation to invade was called Operation Sea Lion. They kept postponing it, postponing it, postponing it, and in the end, it never happened. And you know why it never happened? Do you know why Nazis never stepped foot on the British Isles? At least not as an invader. There was one overriding reason that comes forth from that documentary and from the history books. And if you look it up anyway, because I did look up on the internet as well. There's one reason. Guys, you know what would happen? They would get the Royal Air Force of England right to the place of breaking their back. And then they would change strategy. They, didn't. they had no clear goal. And if you have no clear goal, you have no clear strategy. You'll have no clear tactic. And so they kept changing tactics. First they went in and they thought, well, we're going to knock out their, their radar. They knocked out one radar station and then they quit. And so for the whole war, they had radar and knew every time the Germans were coming. Then they said, you know what we're going to do now? We're going to blow up their runways. And they tried that for a little while and they didn't think that worked. Then they, they sent over these huge huge squadrons of aircraft trying to lure the RAF out and so that they could, they could go to fighting them one-on-one -on -one and try to reduce their numbers. And there were several times, folks, they did have England's back right up against the wall. I mean, it was ready to break and right at the critical point, over here they'd go. they change. You know what, folks? In their high command, the German high command, they had no direction. They had no specific goals. They were, there was jealousy among them and one thought this and another thought that and they were doing all these things. And in the end, they weren't successful. And I looked at that and I thought, that is a lot like parenting. You get parents who don't really know what they're aiming at. They come home, they see something wrong and they go after their kids. They start yelling or they go off the handle. Rather than training their kids, I mean, what do you... You know, if a... If a a circus trainer wants to train an animal, and there are some parallels here, folks. He doesn't simply beat the animal when the animal go, runs off and does it. You know what he does? He rewards. Maybe there's punishment. There's a reward. And, and what they do is they positively train before the crowds show up. 
It's not, oh, the crowd show up and now the lion doesn't do what I want it to do and now I'm all embarrassed and so I start whacking the thing, which some people do. You know, they come to church and there's Junior and all the other kids are halfway well behaved, but there's, oh, it's just so embarrassing to them. They take them to the bathroom and we hear, whack, 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 whack. Not that you shouldn't spank them at church, but, but what happens is you can do things at church you don't do at home and you're not training them. You're not, you're not guiding your kids and, and you get, you just get, you get no objectives really. One day you spank them because they make you mad. Another day you spank them because, well, you're going to really jump on this and you know that brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, they do it this way. And or you just read this book and here's this principle. And over here you go and over... Folks, you know what the truth is? We have bigger arms than our kids. Most of us are equipped with a Bible and a paddle. We have some... Most of us have greater reasoning abilities and intellect than our children. Here we are like, like the German forces, folks. I mean, we are superior in strength and knowledge, supposedly. And yet we come along to our children who, you know, there they are. And what happens a lot of times, we start using tactics on them. And just when we get them where there's almost some success, we go over here and start doing this thing over here. And I... I I'm afraid that's that's the case, because we're not clear about all this. Do you know what? Whatever you do with your children, whatever decisions you make, he is preeminent. He is chief. And when you get up in the morning and you start wondering, well, what should I do with my children? How should I change? How how should I nurture my children? What should I do with them? What should my goal be? Well, folks, speak from your heart. What do you want most for your children? I mean, I'm not slow to answer it. I'll tell you from the depths of my heart what I want for my children. I want eternal life for my children. I want them to live forever. I want them to live forever in glory. I'm not so interested about whether my children are healthy and wealthy and happy. I mean, there's a lot of parents and Christian parents. They're more concerned about the grades, the education, whether they have nice houses, whether they end up wealthy and healthy. And you know what? I would rather my children were ugly and sickly and died young if they'll have eternal life. Because I'm not so concerned about whether they're happy or sad for a few years. I'm worried about what's going to happen with them through all of eternity. I want them to live forever. And you know what? That is not a bad desire to have for your children. Because you know, when you go to the book of Proverbs, which we will be a lot in the weeks ahead, do you know that is the main emphasis that the Father gives to His Son? Son, do this. Keep My commandments and live. And don't do this and stay away from the assembly of the dead and avoid death over here. And son, do this and it is a tree of life to you. Do this and you will live. Do this and it's, it's that way. It isn't, it isn't a, it's, it, folks, it's the big picture. And I'll tell you this, your children will not have eternal life unless they have Christ. Unless Christ is central. Unless you guide them. You can kill your children spiritually. You can. The the proverb says it. If your child is damned, parents, if your child is damned, 
there, there is an accountability on our part as parents. Just like there's an accountability on the part of Charles and I for this assembly. We will stand accountable for it. Will you kill your children? You say, no, 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 no. No, I, I don't want to kill my children. You know what? Words. Th- throw the words out. Don't speak. Actions. As my 10th grade math teacher used to say, the proof's in the pudding. Actions speak louder. Your actions say whether or not you simply are more interested in your own ease and your own comfort. A lot of times, that's the problem. My child acts in such a way that I am no longer at ease or at comfort and so I take some action. My action says I'm really not concerned about the, the life of my child. I'm concerned about me. My, my concerns are selfish. Now, when we in, in, the, in the weeks ahead, what I want to do is simply go back to Luke 2 and draw from this. It says Christ increased in wisdom. Do you know what? Proverbs say the beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. You know, it also says hit an amazing understanding. Go to the Proverbs. It says we ought to get understanding. It says that He, he grew in favor with God and man. Go to the Proverbs. It says... We ought to grow in the favor of God and man. It says He submitted. Go over to Ephesians 6 1. It says, children, you need to submit. I mean, basically, Christ is the example. And this is, you see, He is to have a preeminent place in our life in every respect. He's to be preeminent in the sense that my children, I view them as His. He is to be preeminent in the fact that I believe that if I, if I guide my children to follow Him, it will go well with them. And if I guide them away from Him, it will not go well with them. I believe that Christ is the example for my children to follow. We're gonna, we'll, we'll see that. I mean, the very th- same things I, I, just, I just said to you. He did. The Bible says our children should do. Parents, grandparents, this is the thing. I mean, from this point forward, and I know I'm, I know I'm being redundant, but it, this this needs to be this needs to be there. It needs to be the foundation. Listen, if if we're all sitting in here and all the children are behaving one way and yours is behaving a different way, they're being loud, they're getting up, they're running around, whatever it is. You know what? The starting point in that is not well, should I rise up to the standard of the church? Or should I seek to have my children behave like other people's children behave? What I want to think of first is Christ owns this child. Is He pleased with what this child's doing? And if I can say, no. And and you know what? God is not pleased with the conduct of your child anything short of Christ-likeness. That's a fact. Because anything short of Christ's like God is not pleased with sin. And you know what Christ was like? He was sinless. You say, that, that, that standard is just too high. No, it's not. It's not. Sin is what you need to deal with in your children. You need to direct your children towards what 
is not sin. And what is not sin is good. It's good works. It's redeeming the time. It's training them in a way that they will walk in in this life. It's guiding them to be upright, to be people of integrity, to be people who are wise when it comes to money, wise when it comes to companions, wise when it comes to women or men or partners. Wise folks. People of understanding. It isn't about that. We can't make we don't we don't set up the rules here. I bow. And you know, I'm giving a lot I'm where you are. I'm I'm looking at all this and I'm thinking, listen, this doesn't have to do with our culture. This doesn't have to do with what other people do in Christian circles. This has to do with what God says for us to do. I mean, if I come to it in God's Word, if I see Christ says to me, follow Him. And you know where it says, follow me, deny yourself and follow me? Right in the next verse, it says, and you will live. Right? You lose your life, you will find it. You will live. You follow Him, you live. I'm, I'm pleading with my children, I want you to live. I want you to live. And now, I, I am told to instruct you and to discipline you and to pray for you in this direction to follow Christ. You've got to follow me as I follow Christ. You've got to. You've got to follow or you will die. And I will use the rod to bring my child in that direction. You say, I can't, you can't change the heart. It says if you take that rod to your child, the foolishness does flee from their heart. You can reach to the heart with that rod. God gives you blessings in that. I know we need His grace. This whole thing is impossible, folks, except God help us. But you are under command and you have been given the authority to lead your children to follow that path. And if you don't, you will be responsible for their death. When it comes to my children, I've got to plead with them to come. And I'm thinking through all this. You know, you, you want to raise up your children? It says Christ grew in stature. You want your children to grow in stature? We say, I don't feed them poison. Yeah, but do you feed them white bread and white rice all the time? Do that. Feed your children nothing but white bread for the next year. You say, I didn't feed them poison. It's kind of like television. Well, I don't show them pornography. I try not to show them um, um, violence. Yes, but are, are you filling their time full of that which is nutritional to them spiritually? TV is a big thing, folks. You know why? Because the average child, by the time they're 18, I forget, it's like a third of their growing up years. By the time they're 18, I think like six years or ten years or some. Just it's incredible how much the average child in this. And you know what? The television is controlled by the media and by godless Hollywood. I'm not saying the Bible anywhere says you ought not to have TV, but I'm telling you this. The Bible says you are to train your child and bring them up into loving God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when you set them down in front of that, you feed your child white bread for an entire year. No, it's not poison, but they'll probably be dead because it doesn't take poison to kill them. Just don't give them that what's good and they'll die. I'm serious, folks. You will kill your child spiritually even if you don't give them poison specifically. They will not have life. And don't think, don't think for a moment, well, I'm trying to lead them to Christ. I'm trying to lead them to Christ. But all the while, you give them all this other stuff. Because what you're doing is you're not leading them to Christ. Leading them to Christ. Christ you know how you get to Christ? You get to Christ by going to Christ. 
And Christ said, you follow me. You, you walk like he walked. My child, Joshua, followed me through the woods one late at night a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, there's branches and everything. And the way I walked and where I walked and how I ducked and where I went, well, he did that behind me. That's what Christ's calling us to do and to live. You need to evaluate this based on what Christ has said. Does it please Him? Is He pleased with it? Should your child talk back to you? Should your child say to you, no, when you tell them to do something? Should your child hit their mother? Should your child get up out of their seat when you tell them to sit in their seat? Should your child do those things? I mean, these are things you have to ask yourself. Would Christ be pleased with this? And I'll tell you, God is not pleased with your child sinning. And when the Scripture says, children, obey your parents, and we have the example of Jesus Christ who is the preeminent example of childhood. He submitted to His parents. When you tell your child to sit in that chair and they won't sit, is that submission? It's not submission. And you know what? You're training that child. And if that child is allowed to continue on, they will only become hardened and hardened and hardened in their sin. I'll tell you what, your children are not born like Christ. You have a responsibility as a parent to train them in the direction of becoming like Christ. Your children are born from the womb. They are wicked. They are estranged. They are liars. We have the Word of God to base that on. Children of wrath, just like the rest of us were when we came into this world. Children of wrath. They're not born in any state of infancy. Just because your child is small and cute, don't look at them and think, well, somehow, you know, they're not guilty before God. They are. And they sin. And that sin is mounting up before God. I mean, I look at this and I'm concerned, folks. I'm concerned. Maybe some of the reason that more of our children are not saved is because we're dropping the ball as parents. I mean, I, I, I fear that. You say, well, that doesn't, that's not really consistent with the sovereignty of God. Folks, it's consistent with the Scriptures. Right. And so it must be consistent with the sovereignty of God. Because both are taught in the Word of God. Amen. The Scripture speaks about allowing your child to go down to Sheol, delivering his soul from Sheol. Why? Parents, why? Are you happy with a little bit of ease or a little smile on your child right now? I'm not. I want them to live that's my desire. And I have hopes in that. Scripture says the desire of the righteous will be fulfilled. I'm hopeful. There's a lot of Scripture that says delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Do you have a desire that your child be saved? I do. But you know what? That desire better be backed up by actions or it's not a firm desire. Some guy comes in here and says, oh, I heard Toyota's opening a, a, a plant down here to the south. And you know, one thing I've really wanted to do more than almost anything I've wanted to do in my life is work for Toyota. Toyota says, well, if you want a job with us, you better come in here. You better fill out an application. You go, better go to this job fair. You better get some of this uh, specific training over here. We'd like to get a resume from you, but he won't do any of those things. You can say that you want to work for Toyota all you want, but your actions show louder that you don't really want that. Parents, you can say you want your children to have eternal life. But what are your actions showing? I mean, I'm asking myself this. I'm taking a serious look right now at every single aspect in their life. I mean, their homeschooling. Their television watching. How do they spend their free time? I mean, how do they pray? How do, how do they view money? What are their friends like? And you know what? It doesn't matter if one of your children's friends is 
the children of somebody in the church, if they are bad and corrupt influences on your children, you get them away from it. And Scripture talks about that. If there's another parent that's not going to train their children the right way, don't you subject your children to it because it's just like you're putting your children under those other parents. Because you're putting them with those children that aren't being nurtured and they're not being trained. And I realize that's a responsibility that Charles and I need to take on myself too. If we see that happening in certain places, it needs to be addressed because we don't want that bad influence. But folks, what I'm wanting you to gear yourself to in all of this is the right mindset as we come into this. These children aren't mine. He is preeminent one. They are His. We've got to start there. We've got to. We can't start anywhere else. We've got to think that way. And I'm... I'm, I'll be the first one to admit, folks, I don't think that way. I think my children. My children. And I'm realizing, and it's not as though I haven't thought about it before, but just with with the study, these are not my children. They're His. He's the owner. He could take them. He's given them to me. I'm the steward. He's given me the manual on what I'm supposed to do. Who am I now? To say, no, Lord, I, I'm not going to. I want my children saved. I don't want to get to the end, folks, and have it have it be my failure. I don't want that. You say, well, that, that puts a guilt trip on me. That puts an enormous weight on me. Well, it, it should, really. It should. Because it is your responsibility. And if you're failing, there is guilt there. Oh, God is merciful. No matter how we failed in, in the past, we're at a point now where God help us that we won't be like we are now a year from now. That's my hope. Let's pray. Father, I I don't know what else to say but that. God, Lord, Father, help us. The failures are not in one or two. Lord, the best of us in this room that have parented most strictly to Your Word, Lord, we know and we can number and they're without number our failures as parents. Lord, we we pray that You would help us. Lord, I'm afraid we've made concessions to worldliness. I'm afraid we've allowed... Lord, as one of Your servants has said, we, you've, Lord, we've, we've gone in a path of minimal morality. We seek to just get by. To not expose our children to corruptions and outright poison but we don't seek to maximize the spirituality in our children. To maximize the instructions of the Word of God. Lord, I know it's going to take an immense amount of work and labor and anguish and tears and prayers, fasting. Lord, it's worth it to me. I want my children saved. Lord, I pray that You would save them. 
Lord, it, we know that just as You'd have us to preach the Gospel, and, and they're not going to hear unless the preacher's sent. They're not going to believe unless they hear. So it's the same with our children. They'll not be saved. They'll not follow Christ unless they're shown the way, directed by it, directed to it, shown the example of it in our lives. Lord, I pray that You would cause Your Son to have the preeminence that You desire Him to have. You have caused Him to be preeminent. I pray, Lord, as much as we belong to You, we are controlled by You, by Your Spirit. Cause Christ to have preeminence in our lives and in our families and among our children. Cause Him, Lord. Chasten us. Deal with us as we need to be dealt with, Lord, to bring us into a place of submission to Your righteous and holy standard. Lord, don't leave us alone. Rebuke and admonish and teach us and instruct us. Guide us, Lord. Equip us. Oh, God, help us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh, we will be uh, moving items since we certainly here.